Okay, hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional in the state of Illinois. I'm an EMDR therapist and a yoga teacher. My practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge where I treat first responders. And this is season two, episode one. And today I am with Patty Durleton. But as always, let's first just connect and ground ourselves. I like to encourage people to transition between activities because we go 100 miles per hour. And if you can take a nice deep breath in, expanding your chest, and maybe close your eyes if you can. And if you're standing, ground your feet. Uh, If you're sitting, just allow yourself to sit and relax into your sit bones. And maybe you've already taken another deep breath in and just allow yourself to exhale and let that melt down. And again, I want to introduce this idea of talking with Patty Durleton and I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Uh, But her and I have worked together with first responders and I thought it would be an amazing fit to have everyone hear us talking a little bit about first responder psychological support. So, Without further ado, I'm going to have Patty introduce herself, her credentials, her work history, especially with first responders, and her new practice. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, I haven't seen you for a little while, and it was just so awesome to see you out in my waiting room. Um, it's really just kind of surreal and, and awesome to reconnect with you. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, So I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I have been working with first responders since I I started working with Sarah at the self-care path. I think it was like 2016, uh, end of 2016, maybe August. Um, I was coming from uh, addiction. I was very saturated in addiction work. I worked in an outpatient addiction uh, facility and that was super rewarding work, but I was looking to make the transition into private practice. And so um, I uh, just through some different pathways that uh, kind of connected Sarah and I together, we connected and I entered a fellowship with her actually um, that she was running at, a t- at the time to be able to teach about firefighter behavioral health and how to work with them. And so as I uh, was very curious about that, and I, I, she invited me to join, and I did, um, I really loved what I was learning and what I was seeing. So she took me through that fellowship, with, which um, included four 12-hour ride-alongs, um, interviews, 10 different interviews with different rank, ranking guys, um, and that, that was like my introduction because I had no idea before what, you know, what the fire service was or anything. Well, first for responder behavioral health. So um, that's, that's uh, you know, how I got my foot in the door, I guess. And Sarah gave me that opportunity. And then once I was there, I just fell in love with that work and um, have been doing it ever since. And so here we are in 2020. Um, and uh, in April of this year, um, I really wanted to uh, focus on EMDR. So I wanted to add that specialty um, and really kind of bring that and grow that um, uh, in the community uh, here in Lyle and um, <clears throat> neighboring communities. So 
that's what I've done. And actually, so I opened in April during COVID, which was really, really crazy. And then um, I, we just, I started hiring and, and it's got overflowed. And now I'm in, I'm opening a second practice or second location in uh, South Naperville. Uh, it's going to open in the next week or two. So it's amazing. So, just, <laughs> so crazy. You know, I think it just, I, I just, I'm so passionate about both of those things equally, EMDR and first responder behavioral health. And then you put them together and it's like, you know, just, it's, it's just an amazing, it's been an amazing journey with learning both of those things side by side. Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing. And so here at the Center for Insight and Connection, that's my practice name. Um, I have, a, there's seven of us now working in those two locations. Um, and so, you know, if you're interested in learning more about it, you can go to the website insightandconnection.com to kind of learn and see different profiles. But all of us here um, have, are in the process of learning or are certified in EMDR. And then um, some of us are going to be going through that same fellowship that Sarah put me through, and I'm going to lead them through learning about uh, firefighters and first responders. So, yes. So I would love to break down some of what you were just talking about and yeah. really emphasize a couple of points. Um, maybe the first one being when we first met and your enthusiasm and your willingness to do some things that other therapists may never, ever do in their lifetime. In fact, I don't know many therapists that do what we do at all. Yeah. Um, but I want to admit, like you came in, you went on those ride alongs, you did those interviews, you got very busy with first responders. I think that you worked with them in a way that really spoke to them. And that's what filled your caseload and allowed you to become a first responder therapist. Absolutely. Um, but can you explain a um, couple things? LCSW, CADC, uh, yes. and EMDR. And then I want to ask you some more things. Sure. So licensed clinical social worker is... Um, is L LCSW. So basically it's just the, you know, that alphabet soup behind your name um, that makes it so that we're able to legally treat people in an individual setting. <clears throat> so LCSW, LCPC, those, those are two, um, LMFT, those are all letters um, that really are behind, you know, qualify us to do the individual therapy work. So that's the type of um, education that I have is in social work. So it's a master's degree in social work and then I'm licensed. So CADC is a certified alcohol and other drug counselor. Um, and that is another certification I didn't mention before. Um, and uh, so it, that is basically, it certifies me to be able to have or to work with substance abuse, which um, happens across ages, across, you know, you know, the lifespan, men, women, um, adolescents. So, um, I have that certification as well. And then you, you said, which other acronym? The EMDR. Oh, EMDR. So B1. B1. <laughs> um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which doesn't ex explain a whole lot when you say those words, but basically EMDR is a type of therapy it's experiential therapy is what it is it's different than your talk therapy where you go and just kind of talk and figure out you know different reframes of how to think about an issue and what it does instead is emdr therapists were trained to ask the question 
about a symptom. So if you look at anxiety, and anxiety is a symptom of what pain? So the EMDR therapist is asking those questions about the pain causing the symptoms. So we're looking at the root reason why that symptom is there. That we so often medicate. You know, we're like, yeah. oh, here's this anxiety. Let's medicate it, either officially through a doctor or unofficially with alcohol and drugs. So um, EMDR looks specifically at the pain, treats the pain, heals the pain, so now we don't have that symptom. And that's why it's so effective and, and so efficient, and I'm so passionate about it because I think it works very well with first responders as well as the general population because anxiety and depression and PTSD and everything in between there, um, you know, I think it's so many people, it's like epidemic proportions of these things. And yes. uh, I feel like EMDR is a way to really change that. I agree. I often describe it as a trauma therapy that takes the present day trigger and all the symptoms that that trigger gives you, like you were saying, the anxiety, the depression, I can't sleep. And instead anger. of anger, anger is a huge one for real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, instead of ignoring, denying, minimizing and numbing those symptoms, yes. right? We actually go to the old point of disturbance where it originated and we try to heal that yes. uh, so that when there is a trigger, you can say, I've been down this healing road before. Like I understand what my brain needs to do um, to get better. Your body and your body doesn't even remember it the same way. Like, like I have people all the time with anger. They'll say after after a treatment session, mm -hmm. they'll say this is really weird because I can't find my anger. Yeah, like it it served such a purpose for so long, and when we go after the pain, the anger is not needed anymore, and it can be really disorienting sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to spend a little bit of time on just that. Like, yes, what's it like living in your body without the anger? You know, and I mean, it's it's such a profound, amazing treatment that is so good for lots of different presenting symptoms. And when you say that, it makes me think of, yes, we're treating the original maybe issue. We're treating the presenting issue. And then we get this opportunity to teach you how to live differently yeah. afterwards. Yes. It's kind of amazing in that way. And to do that for helpers, you and I have talked before yes. about like we both love helping a helper. Oh. If you can speak on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what keeps my passion alive. It's like what stokes that, that fire mm. in me and, and brings me purpose is to be able to take, you know, so, you know, to be able to help and connect with somebody who is so passionate about helping other people, you know, and, and you know, I'm in a helping profession myself. And so I know that that can take a toll over time. And so it's like to be able to help someone pay attention to that, that sort of um, long-term stress that happens when, you, when you're in that first responder world and when you're, you're doing what you're doing, it brings me such purpose to be able to help somebody maintain their mental health so they can continue working and following their hearts and their passions. I love that. And, and the way that I would put it too, this is where I think you and I have such a similar drive is to help a high functioning person become higher functioning so that we can contribute to the good in the world. Yes. yes yeah. Yes, yes. That might be a Sarah issue right there, right? <laughs> that I, I want to help those people do that. I don't work with lower functioning clients. I don't work with developmental disorders 
I work with adults who are adulting. They have professional careers, and I think that they deserve as much happy, healthy, safe, and free as anybody else, you know? And so for me, that's rewarding too. But that reminds me of one of the first clients I referred to you for EMDR, and I remember thinking, and I said this in an earlier podcast, I don't want to hold this guy back. Let's see what Patty can do with this EMDR, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was such a fantastic outcome that, you know, it really inspired me to get trained and to do this. Um, and as you and I have been treating first responders together and now in separate practices, I kind of want to talk about the crisis of mental health with first responders because I know you have an inside look on some of the bullshit yeah. that we have to deal with as first responder therapists. So I know before you mentioned something about you wish there was consistency, but can you speak on that maybe a little bit more regarding the mental health crisis with first responders? Yeah, I think sometimes I feel like it has to get really, really bad before someone comes to see me, you know, and in my preventative mind, you know, I think, you know, this, this could have been prevented. This, this more severe presentation of symptoms is, is a result of an underreaction to a problem. And for the fire service as a whole, you know, in general, I don't think that they have uh, any policies written. They don't have any plan to be able to see or even attend to any anything initially, much less later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so inconsistent with how fire departments um, react or respond to different presentations. Even when it is severe, they don't know what to do. They'll underreact or then they'll overreact. You know, one of, one of those two ways, and I can go into that a little bit more, like an underreaction um, would be just an ignoring of a such blatant symptom. Like, you know, guys coming into work drinking. And I mean, it doesn't have to get that far, right? But it does, and then no one knows what to do with it. So it just kind of continues for a while and everybody's mm-hmm. kind of, doesn't know what to do about it, or an overreaction is like sending somebody in for hours of psychological testing because they just reported, you know, something small, like having some anxiety or, you know, maybe, you know, they, they felt a little off after a call and then a chief goes, okay, fitness for duty evaluation and all this testing and all this craziness that, that then just deters that person from ever reaching out for help again, A, and other guys are watching. So they're knowing their guy, their, their chief or whoever, you know, reached out for a little bit of help and then they get slammed with, you know, five hours of psych testing. Only to find, you know, what non-relevant information, really, right? It's, it's, not, it's not helpful. That, that process is not helpful. No. Um, so I feel like what's lacking across the board and what causes those either an underreaction or an overreaction is the lack of policy and the lack of understanding that mental health is mm-hmm. part of, of the whole health of the firefighter. So, you know, like physicals are, are, are you know, recommended every year. You know, it's part of the protocol. You go in for a physical, we're checking your heart, we're checking how things are working. And why mental health isn't also put into to that that you know to, into that physical, is is really um, kind of baffling to me, 
So I feel like that would be preventative in nature, you know, if we did it the right way. It would re- it'd have to be done the right way, you know. Yes. It couldn't just be like, you're doing it, and I'm forcing you to do it, you know. And you have to sit down, and you ha- like it, it would have to be done in a way that would be informative, that would be encouraged, that there would be no threat if, if something does arise in that, in that mental health, you know, right. part of that physical, that, that that guy doesn't have to be worried about pay, being put off work. I think that's another thing that happens all the time. There's a bad call. And yeah. so a chief says, well, go home, which is then further isolating that guy from his norm. He doesn't want to sit there alone, probably drinking, right? Just trying to deal with a bad call that's the wrong answer it is you know yeah you know I totally know and I agree and what I have said in the past when I teach classes um for the officer level whether it's health and safety officer or a chief level officer course I will say you know I'm a therapist and I wouldn't admit to my employer anything there is no way that you're going to send me for an evaluation and I'm going to say I'm drinking, I'm having an affair, thinking about killing myself, you know, the usual. Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Nobody's going to say that unless we have a policy that protects you. Yes. That says, look, separate from the file, separate from your, you know, uh, employee file or the department MD's file. We just want you to go and check in. We want you to experience what a therapy would be like in case you were to need it. Or get an evaluation beyond a psych test. To them, they're just filling in circles and answering silly questions. There isn't anything therapeutic. And when it comes back to them as you're fucked up, they're like, uh, thanks, not helpful, see you later. It's completely deterring them from engaging the psychology world, you know? And so when we talk about doing some kind of check-in or making it normal, Patty and I are not talking about what you've already been through. We're saying, like, literally meet a therapist, you know, meet someone who wants to engage in the process of understanding who you are, what your symptoms are, that will treat your symptoms and then help you afterwards. Yeah, I've had cases where, you know, that person could be coming and we could be spending that time together unfolding what's going on. And instead, we're just trying to manage the anxiety around the fit for duty evaluation. And, you know, I think that that there's just got to be another way. There's got to be a different way. And that's helpful. That's effective. That's efficient. That's able to, you know, deal with the presenting issue, which is expected. It should be expected that there are mental health and emotional issues when guys are seeing the things they're seeing. Yes. Yes, yes. And so, again, I know people hear me repeat this like I'm a broken record but in the last 10 years I'm not seeing enough movement so I'll keep repeating human illness human death human suffering human stupidity and property destruction are going to make you feel a certain way even if only in a cumulative effect kind of way yes like I understand if you can handle the burnt body or the crushed you know car or whatever trauma it is that you're witnessing but over time it can have its effects yes And one thing that I think is we have to create a psychological injury policy. Right now, you and I, if we can talk about this for a second, whenever we are dealing with a psychological injury, we have to fill out physical injury forms. Workman's comp, pension stuff, all of this is always geared 
toward, well, here's the form, circle the body part that's affected. And yeah. I'm just so over it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> first of all, it's 2020. Give me a place where I can write down a DSM diagnosis. Yeah. Give me a form where I can circle the um, emotional, physical, spiritual effects. Give me a space that I can write a treatment plan that makes sense. Not this just FMLA form that says, are there flare-ups? Flare-ups isn't really a word for in our... <laughs> so I totally agree with you. It's yeah. not relevant. Like yeah. relevant paperwork, relevant policy, relevant. Because right now we're trying to sort of retrofit something that already exists to try to meet the needs of, of mental health issues. And it's not, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. So, so, you know, I hope that, you know, we can be part, I think every day the work we do is in effect, you know, it's having an, having a positive impact on the fire service from the bottom up. Right. You know, I think that what, what happens uh, is that, you know, guys come into one of us or, or someone that, you know, is helpful and you know they they gain some knowledge they gain understanding it's actually effective it's actually like they can understand themselves they feel powerful because they do understand themselves and what's going on yes. it's just education is really all that's needed it's nothing really scary no. it's you know it's like just it's science so here's a little science i understand what's going on and then they then they take that back to their firehouses they talk to 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 other guys about it and women too right i don't mm-hmm. want to i don't want to you know, guys we and see gals. guys all the time, you know, but it's Chicago. like, yes, <laughs> so, you know, women, you know, anybody in the fire service, you know, it's being talked about. I, you know, it's being talked about in those circles. And I think mm-hmm. the more work we do and the more positive impact we have, the more they're going to talk about it and it's going to work its way from the bottom up. Um, yes. And I, that's, that's my hope. You know, I'm kind of an optimist. Um, yeah. <laughs> that way. I'm um, not. I know. <laughs> it's so amazing and like like that's got that's got to preside over the negative like it just has to like that's just the it's just the way it's going to work and and I think we can help it along we can by having these conversations but let's talk about a shit show conversation moment here for a second because as we're talking and we sound enthusiastic like we're working together and all that does is trigger me and notice how many times other psychology professionals work against us mm-hmm. and the way that FMLA, workman's comp, pensions, fire departments, police departments are set up is they are pitting psychologists against each other with independent medical exams, psych evals, fit for duties. It is not the same as a physical injury. If you break an ankle, I get it. There might be a couple different opinions about your broken ankle and whether or not it healed. But in psychology, it just cannot work this way. And as I'm speaking, you're nodding your head yes. (laughs) So I'm just kind of wondering, what do you think about this topic of how we have been pitted against each other with these IMEs? That is such an an awesome point and I you know I'm reflecting on my own experiences with that subject and it's very very frustrating um, I kind of touched on it before when um, you know it's just talking about how it impedes the progress right of the therapy yes of the actual treatment that could get that person back to work it's the systems working against its its own expected outcome you thank know? you yes and so it's like 
it's it's systemic and the system needs to change and so when I talk about the guys going I think it starts the change is going to start you know in the kind it already has you know and I and I but it doesn't mean that the problems don't still exist and so we don't have to wait for it from the bottom up to just happen what we have to do is is have these conversations and have the you know people in power that can fix the system, right? It's really hard for a firefighter paramedic to fix the system. Or you or I. Right, right. Yes. So if uh, if we are having these conversations and the chiefs out there are listening to these conversations, because I know there's so many chiefs out there who care about their guys and they, they, they care very much about, you know, what can I do? They, they're, they're not sure what to do. You know, I want to empower those chiefs. I want to have these conversations. I want to be part of that education to be able to say, I know this is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes in your office, your, your plates are already overloaded, right? With all sorts of, you know, political issues and pressures. And you're, you're like in the middle and a pressure cooker. And then now a guy comes in and says that he's had a flashback or, you know, and it's like, you don't even know what to do. So you just send him for a fitness for duty evaluation. Like, I feel like I understand that, that you know, why that's happening. But it doesn't mean it's the only, I don't think there's any other option. No. for those chiefs and so that's where if a chief can listen to this conversation and say oh hey there's, there's another option what do we have to do can we write an ed, in, uh, a policy based on science based on education based on what we do know that works right that's what's going to effectively change the system you know from the inside out you know we're working on the outside mm-hmm. you know and it's hard to get you know it's hard to be able to affect change from the outside so it needs to come in from both angles the inside and the outside but i think in relationship to your question about imes and working against each other you know what i've found is that i might have worked with a guy for like a year yes nobody's asking me my opinion no one's saying hey you know this guy you know he trusts you and I don't want my notes. I don't. I don't want any of that stuff to be, you know, asked for, subpoenaed. Just to ask my opinion and take it seriously, yes. because what the system does is they only look to MDs. They're only looking for outside people with the different letters behind their name, yes. and they're looking for those people to guide the process. But they don't know the human who's having the problem. They don't. They don't know that. They don't know the treatment. They don't know their initial presentation. They don't know. They don't have any record of that, you know? And oftentimes I will barely even be asked what is really, what's really happening. Or if I do get asked, somehow my information gets twisted and turned into something that it isn't. By our own profession. By our own profession. Mm -hmm. And it's ludicrous. And I, and I, I feel like what causes it is that the fit for duty evaluation that that psychologist is working for the department whereas i am working for my client mm-hmm. and that divide is what causes the problem you know and so what we need to do is have the same the client needs to be the one that's being looked at you know needs needs to be considered like hey this is there's no threat here right you know, I think that's the reaction. That's the overreaction. There's no threat here. This is just normal. Yes. This is normal. We need to normalize these presentations because just like it would be normal to have a shoulder injury, it's normal to be able to have an emotional injury. We don't need extra special specialists coming in and, you know, evaluating and, and it's irrelevant. Yes. And, it, and it furthers somebody from asking for help is what it does. It deters that, like we were talking about. It so does. 
I think that's the reason why is because we're, we're, we're being pitted against each other and I think it's fear-based. I really think that it's fear-based. It's that, you know, I'm scared because this guy's coming into work and I don't want it to affect the community. I don't want the liability. And I get that part, but I think there's a way to manage that liability in a way that's not going to be harmful. Right. You know? Well, I know in my experience, you know, I've had some psychologists say something like, well, he has a sleep disorder. He can't work. And I'm like, they all have sleep disorders. Go ahead and fire the whole department. Really? Then. Yes, yes, yes. Or like he has a drinking problem. Well, so does the chief. Go ahead and grab him too then. Or, you know, he's, you know, really angry at home and yelling at the kids. He's not fit for duty. And I'm like, go ahead and snatch up 50% or something. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, and yes, yes. The other thing is a lot of those, uh, unfortunately, psychologists, number one, they're not doing psych tests normed on first responders. Yes. And then they are yes. interpreting the results, I think, outside of the culture. Yes. And they're also making recommendations that make no sense for the culture. Um, like, oh, go ahead and return to work. You can cook and clean. Well, unless you're in Chicago, there's no cooking and cleaning. And if you're on the Leo side, like, no, you don't just throw them into dispatch all of a sudden, you know, so. That's so much more dysregulating. It's very dysregulating. And I think, too, to speak on what you were saying, we will work with a client. We do an initial assessment. We start to understand them. We connect with them. We start treating them. There's progress let's say somebody gets wind of it all of a sudden the treatment's interrupted and they have to see that IME or a psychologist or a department MD and many of them are brilliant I also want to speak to the fact that I have been very helped by other people in our profession but what happens to my client is they get anxious they want to stop going to therapy they regret going to therapy they're upset that anything could be subpoenaed that anything is going to get out and then before I know it like you said earlier I'm treating their anxiety about the department's meddling or the psychologist who doesn't understand them and I can't even get back to our treatment plan exactly and then all of a sudden I'm not you know finishing the treatment plan I'm like well I'm not finishing the treatment plan because I'm doing a completely different treatment plan because of the crisis that the lack of policy just created Let's just talk financially and how much more expensive it is. Yes. Right? To go and hire these IMEs and to to put a guy off work and then have to pay. You don't, none of that has to happen in many, many cases, right? It would be cheaper, right? Yes. And we got to talk about that. Yes. It would be cheaper to have a mental health policy to send them initially, like if prevent, if you were actually had a plan of prevention. Yes. And taught about what to look at, what to look for, to give guys and gals the safety they need to be able to attend to these emotional issues, issues right? Yeah. Which are normal and should be expected. I feel like you could cut costs in relationship to being so scared of liability or all this testing or all, all of that. Mm-hmm. By what, three quarters? Yeah, or or even more. Again, if we made it normal to talk about how human illness, death, suffering, stupidity, and property destruction in the moment could dysregulate your emotional stability or over a period of time could really affect the way that you see the world and yourself in it, which creates anxiety, depression, trauma symptoms, anything along those ignoring, denying, numbing, minimizing symptoms. 
But again, if we could just admit that that's real and work with the reality and say that therapy is going to be the way to get them back on the job instead of taking the stance of let's psych test them right out of the job. Yes. Yeah. I wish, you know, I think that's my cry, you know, and the reason why I get involved in the fight for policy even though I always tell people I'm in the therapy room and I'm in the classroom because I don't like to fight (laughs) (laughs) and I don't like to get in the middle of all of this but it's a problem yes and I see you as organizing with the center for insight and connection this EMDR center and this first responder place So maybe we can harness our energy about the topic and bring it back to what do you see doing and how would you contribute to a different policy for them? Yes. So I feel like, you know, the writing the policies, right? Um, You know, that that is that's going to be by, you know, that has to be something that's a chief is going to want to do, right? Or uh, a board is, somebody's going to have to want to do that, right? I think right? the whole union and the state of Illinois has to decide. Yes. Like the Illinois Fire Chiefs Association and the Illinois Police um, Chief Associations, like they need to get together with their unions. I know that they have like um, conferences every year for the lawyers, the labor lawyers and um, department lawyers. Like we're always all learning. And we have not inserted the topic of psychology or therapeutic treatment of first responders. So if we could somehow, you know, even through this conversation, plant a seed to say, again, it's 2020. What are you going to do to make therapy more accessible so it's not waiting to the final hour, like you mentioned, and this guy's already an alcoholic or he already is divorced? his children are already not talking to him. You know, like, why are we intervening at that level? Yes, exactly and- why. So so I feel like I have so many thoughts about the treatment part. In relationship to policy, I feel like having these conversations and working with people who are interested in developing policy is mm-hmm. the way that we're going to do it, right? And continuing, continuing to have... Um, you know, guys that, that come and get treated and then get go back to work and then talk about it, you know, openly and, and talk to their chiefs about it and, and really start to destigmatize mental health. I think we're doing it. I think we're right in the middle of doing it, right? Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, the other things that I, I am doing here to help bring EMDR uh, into and, and healing and, and hope into the community for first responders and, you know, everybody else, right, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I, I have this very big drive to teach and support other therapists that want to learn EMDR and or first responder behavioral health. So I'm taking um, one person now, um, Laura Murray is taking the fellowship that you you taught me and mm-hmm. it's the, the same one. Um, teaching her kind of about the culture of the fire service. She's gonna do her ride along, she's gonna do her interviews and then I'm gonna kind of guide her through that process. And simultaneously, she's being EMDR trained 
Um, it's kind of following in the same path that I, I've been on for the last four years. Mm-hmm. So, which I felt was, you know, the journey I've been on was, has been amazing and I want to grow it. So Laura Murray is one of the therapists I've hired here and she's doing both. I've got other therapists that are just going to be EMDR trained and, you know, as I hire and as we grow, I'd like to be able to create a whole center, um, uh, you know, a hub for people to come to, to actually treat their trauma, mm-hmm. not just the symptom. Um, and so I'm, I plan to do that by, you know, public speaking. I want to get out and talk about that, um, talk about EMDR, talk about trauma, um, just educate the community about, about, you know, what, what these symptoms are and how they're just symptoms. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. That's okay. So, um, I have to just turn that off. So, mm-hmm. um, so I feel like training other therapists, empowering other par- therapists and supporting other p- therapists to do the work that we do is huge because, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't know who I would refer to. Yes. If it's not you or, or myself, um, and it's like, you know, that's, there's such a huge need. So yes. in order, you know, we have to get that information out there. And so that's, that's how I feel. So that's one of the things that I'm doing. Um, another thing is, uh, I have, so I've gotten trained in EMDR early intervention. And this is something I've been very curious about how I want to implement into the fire service. Um, I, it's, it's a, it's done in a group format. So, you know, you think of the, you know, the, the debriefings of the groups, you know, that they have sometimes after bad calls, it depends on the fire department. Some are doing it, some mm-hmm. are not. Um, what are they called? CISD. Yeah, CISD. So, um, I hear a lot, I mean, I think it's, it, it's a good, you know, concept, but you know, what I hear a lot of is like, you know, we went to the CISD debriefing and no, you know, nobody's really talking about anything. Everybody's like, yep, yep, I'm just fine. You know, whatever. And then nobody ever really gets to what really happened on that call. Right. So, um, what, so early EMDR early intervention is a way to, um, bring EMDR to a group. So I kind of see it like, being an option for if you got got a crew that went out and saw something really bad, um, you know, I could come in or being able to train teams to come in to be able to do a, a group. And, and it's just a protocol. It takes about, you know, it can, it, we can titrate it to, to meet whatever need is there. But you do a group, it's EMDR in a group, and you're staying only on the recent event. You're not going into prior, you know, calls Float or backs anything. And no, like that. no, nothing like that. You're just doing, reducing, you're desensitizing the points of disturbance in that call. Um, it's super effective. The research is really good on it. The the, the research that we have on it, um, and so I would love to be able to entertain that concept of bringing um, EMDR early intervention into the fire service. The, right now, my experience with that has been um, I'm running a COVID-oriented group. Um, it's an early intervention group, uh, and that's starting um, hopefully November 14th at my new place. Um, we're, we've got a few participants, and we're going to start it. And we're just doing like a little bit of research on it, like pre-test, post-test. So hopefully, yeah. we can publish an article, something about it, just to continue to 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 get that information out there how effective EMDR is. Um, beyond that, I'd like to be able to continue to consult 
uh, you know, do my, I, I am an EMDR consultant, uh, consultant in training, and I'll be a full consultant in February. So I would love to, even therapists that aren't working for me, right, to be able to support them in, you know, however they're utilizing EMDR, but to be able to do it um, according to the integrity of the protocol and the, and the, and the theory behind it. Um, that's what, that's kind of how I see, you know, those are my passions and that's what I'm growing, uh, you know, growing into. I love that. And I almost want to like make sure we recap, recap, not recap. <laughs> we're we gonna recrap it. it we can figure that out uh, oh, because that, like you're mentioning some big things that I want people maybe to pay attention yeah, to yeah. which is like number one uh usually when I teach I ask you know the chiefs to consider letting therapists local therapists do ride-alongs or to let them be interviewed you know by the therapists uh so that we can get to know their culture but if you are willing to do that, if you're saying, hey, therapists can come here and I will put them through this training, we need police and fire departments to say, okay, Patty's heading this up and you're going to come and you're going to do a ride along and we're going to have you interview the guys and we're going to teach you about our career because you and I have to be uh, professionals in our career and we have to be a professional that exists within theirs. Yes, it's yes. Um, so to me, I hear you saying that and want to make it clear that we need police and fire chiefs to allow you to do that. Yeah, I feel like that's been, you know, you've helped me out a lot there because you have a lot, you have a lot more connections than I do. So that has been an obstacle, like with Laura, right? I've had yeah. Laura contact some of the, the places I, I did some ride-alongs with. But it, it would be so great if it could be more formal, more, more um, streamlined, you know, where I would just say, you know, maybe human resources knows me, you know, the chief already talked and said, this is a program, we support it. If Patty calls or any one of Patty's, you know, minions, you know, (laughs) whatever you want to say, calls and and says, I want to, I want to be able to learn, you know, it's bam, it's in, you know, there's no, you know, I've been, been, yeah, yes, no red tape. And then maybe another thing to do a shout out to therapists that might be listening to this podcast to say, uh, if you're interested, you know, like you need to contact Patty. Yeah, maybe explain that. Really, really interested. You know, like I think the most important thing uh, that I would be looking for in a therapist that I would be willing to devote time and commit my time to is somebody that A, really wanted to learn about um, that, that anxiety and these symptoms are not just symptoms, there's things behind the symptom presentation and to be able to look at it through a trauma lens because I think that's what makes you an effective first responder therapist is that yes. you're able to see that. So that you have to be willing to kind of learn about that. Whether you're EMDR trained or not, you know, I mean, that, that's something that, you know, we'd have to see case-by-case basis. But um, I feel very, very strongly about being able to treat trauma and not just re-traumatize people by talking about it. Ooh, that was such a nice line. (laughs) (laughs) I would play that back. I'd like hit the rewind button and hear that again. Um, And then like the, the third part, of course, is just the EMDR consultant piece and training. So we're kind of asking chiefs to open up to see if we can train people we're asking therapists to step forward to work with first responders 
But if you don't want to work with first responders, if that culture is just not your thing, if that's not intriguing or interesting to you, you are willing to train EMDR therapists, period. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Even if you're not working here, you just want to get certified in EMDR. And that yeah. is just, I'm all in on that. hundred yes. percent. And um, I'd like to continue on, you know, in that too, you know, that's one of my professional developmental development goals is to be able to um, become a trainer in EMDR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to be able to do that and get involved um, in, you know, EMDR organizations, you know, you've got Andrea and, you know, uh, the EMDR Research Foundation. I'd love to be able to be part of those organizations too. But I mean, I got to I had to slow my roll a little bit and, and, you know, just grow roots in, in, you know, it's only been since April. So, I mean, I'm super excited and passionate and I have lots of energy. So I have, I know sometimes I have to titrate that back. Otherwise, you know, I'll blow up and have way too much. That's exactly right. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are all kind of probably, that's probably a little bit more in the future. I like it. But I think, again, it's, I am always about planting seeds. I might say that too much even, but the other thing is, I know that we should probably talk again sometime because uh, this is like introduction to you and I thinking we're talking about our barriers. We're talking about the stuff that we wish was there so that we can do our jobs more effectively. Yes. And so that first responders could just get the help that they need without it being such a crisis or a shameful thing. Totally. Yeah. And again, maybe, you know, another conversation structured around different issues but this for sure I think is starting that idea that that at least I want everyone to understand like we're not kidding (laughs) you and I are in this you know and like we're always I think you know working around this shit yes yeah, and and and, you and know I what? want some structure, darn it. But we still, you know what? We still <laughs> do it because the benefit outweighs the shit. I feel it like does. I see amazing things every single day I come to work. But they should see that too. I guess that's, and I feel that way too. Like I walk away from my office feeling amazing. Mm. Like I had a good day at work every day. Yes. But I know that they go back to the shit show. Yes, that's that's such a great perspective. Like, it needs to be more. We need to get yeah. the word out. I feel like that's what we're doing. You know, yeah. that's, like, the, the main point is, like, yeah. it doesn't have to be this hard. Nope. And it is so good. So the good needs to be heard. It needs to be shouted from the rooftops. I've heard guys say that. You know, like, <laughs> this EMDR voodoo witchcraft needs to be shouted from the rooftops. <laughs> yes. You know, because yeah. it's so, it's just so life-changing. Right, or therapy isn't you know, something to be scared of or to not like because we can learn our culture. Yes. We can yes, learn yes. the language. I can understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not, not just can, like, like you have. Yes. You know, we have. We do. And for we 10 do. years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like there's yeah. hope. I think that that's the number one thing I want anybody leaving my office, you know, firefighter, you know, first responder or not. Yeah. Is that there is hope. I've heard it. I know what to do with it. And we're going to knock it out. Yeah. And it's not like we've heard it a couple times. We do it full time year after year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So is there anything else that you want to add before I close us up and end this particular podcast? Um, 
No, I think you know we just kind of hit on the main points and um, just to you know have conversations. You have to have the hard conversations about mental health. Um, you know, in your fire departments, um, whether you're at the firefighter paramedic level, whether you're at the chief level, whether you're a mayor. Um, you know, what, whatever, if you're involved, yeah. um, you know, you're we, on the board, yes, anything, yeah. like we just need to be having labor lawyers call, and call us if you have yeah. questions, you know, like, you know, I am available. I am so I just available to have these conversations. So if you're not sure about things and you just want to talk and figure out how, what's the next step for, for you, whether it's individual therapy or whether it is, you know, writing policy, um, yeah. You know, whether it's you're a therapist listening and you want to know more about EMDR and, uh, um, or you're a therapist that wants to learn about firefighter behavioral health. Right. You're in. I'm in. You're in. So, so contact me. I love it. So I'm going to just say thank you, Patty, and thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support, everyone else out there. Again, I'm Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois. And as always, I say do life so it doesn't do you. (laughs) I love that. Take good care and, of course, stay very safe.